Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all, us we here, and welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. We got a real special episode for you guys today. Joining me are AC. What's up guys? Eric. Yes sir. And today a very special guest, our very own Pistons fan. And I know guys, it's shocking. There's a Pistons fan? I didn't even know that. Dish. Hey folks, what's up? Because the Pistons got the number one pick and picked an absolute stud in Cade Cunningham, we thought it was the perfect time to invite our friend Dish to give some insight on what it's like to be a suffering Pistons fan. So Dish, you must be feeling pretty good, huh? Getting that number one pick? Yeah, number one pick really is going to be crucial and I'm thankful to all the gods, new and old, that they were <laughs> with Cade. Because, you know, we've been here before, not number one, uh, number two, and it didn't go so well. I believe it was 03. And <laughs> I was just hoping that they would make the common sense move. And, and they did. Which Jeez, is great. If it were the old gods, it would have been like a Darko Milicic. So just thank the new gods. <laughs> we'll go with the new then. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dish, why don't we start with that 2003 draft that you alluded to. In a draft full of future Hall of Famers, the Pistons that year had the number two pick. They could have had Carmelo Anthony. They could have had Chris Bosh. They could have had Dwayne Wade. And ultimately, they went with a guy who was playing basically not... He wasn't playing pro basketball. He was just effectively playing high school basketball against people in Europe. There was no basis to go for this pick. And Joe Dumars, who is a Pistons legend and a guy who you know, built a pretty good team in general, made this move getting someone who ended up being a complete bust. And I got to ask you, Deesh, when you look back on that, if you had picked anybody else, what would it have done for your team? Like, would it have extended that window that the Pistons had in the mid-2000s? I really don't know. I really don't know how to answer that question just because... Yes, obviously, uh, any of those other picks, uh, whether it was Bosch, whether it was Carmelo, Wade, definitely would have propelled them to an even greater offensive juggernaut. But would they have had the same chemistry together? Would they have you know, fit in together? Would the egos have fit in together? I really don't know. And it just worked out so perfectly with that core that it didn't matter <laughs> that we made a horrible draft move that we won anyways that year so yeah i mean my my thinking about that run was that as you guys got older right you had this nice run there was basically half a decade until eric's guy lebron eviscerated y'all in 2007 uh in that memorable conference finals basically from 2003 till then you were consistent conference finals nba finals over and over again but as the roster aged you didn't have that guy coming up behind them basically darko military provided no value Right. There was no continuity. There was no one to build off of as that team age. And, and sure, you know, personally, I think D. Wade would have been a great fit, even though his play was a little different. But it, it was probably the worst draft pick ever. I don't know. If wow. You, okay. I mean, it's definitely up there, given the opportunity cost. It's not like there's one other can't miss guy there there was like three or four other can't miss guys there and you still missed (laughs) somehow you guys messed up one of the greatest draft classes ever 
Yes, yes, we did. But we still won the championship. That I know, year. that's the crazy thing. That's the yeah. crazy thing. With absolutely no hope from that draft class. So let's then talk about this year's draft. Because, you know, it may seem obvious that Cade Cunningham was the pick. Because coming into this draft, he was sort of the guy who was in the top of most draft boards. But as we all know, there were three really enticing prospects at the top of this draft. You had Cade Cunningham, this giant 6'8 passing fiend who could hit a shot too and flash some two-way potential. You had Jalen Green, who sometimes looks to the eye like a young Kobe Bryant, just the way he attacks relentlessly over and over again with elite athleticism and scoring ability. And then you have Evan Mobley, a seven-footer who can literally do backflips and projects to be Chris Bosh on offense and some kind of elite, crazy you know, Anthony Davis type defender on top of that. So it's it's not like it was an easy choice, but you were Cade all the way, D. So tell me, what is it about Cade Cunningham that you liked? He can do it all. He's basically what what I can see so far. He's Ben Simmons with the shot. And, and all, all the talk around Ben Simmons, you know, about how imperfect he is because he doesn't have a shot. He quite frankly has everything else in his armor. Uh, and and that's what Kay brings. Uh, he can dribble up the ball. He is a point guard. Uh, he's a six foot eight point guard. He can take the step back three. He can create for others. He's gonna need some shooters so that the defense you know stays honest. But if he can have the right pieces around him, then they can they can make a, a playoff run. Maybe not a, a high seed, but you know definitely make a playoff run. A playoff run with who? Like you have Cade Cunningham, okay, and then. Yeah, I get that the East is not that good in comparison to the West, but the teams that you're going to have to fight for a playoff position are like the Wizards, potentially, the Hornets, potentially. You know, while I do think that Cade Cunningham is this incredible talent, is he good enough to carry a team that, what, is, is his next best guy is Jeremy Grant? The question is, should that even be what they're looking at at all, right? Because it's not even necessarily a good thing to have your rookie carry you to the playoffs. We learned this from Eric's guy, LeBron, when he was drafted on the Cavs, and they were too good too quickly. And then they just didn't have that supporting roster around him of young talent. Whereas if you look at like the Thunder, who failed a little bit in Durant's first couple of years, they got multiple draft picks over and over again. Next thing you know, they have a squad of young talent that's emerging. So I'm not even sure it should matter that much whether Cade can take to the playoffs this upcoming season or even in the next couple of years. The biggest thing is, did you get the best player on the board? And when Deej tells me this guy reminds me of Simmons, but with a shot, I mean, that's about as high praise as you can get. And if, if you look at all his measurables, I mean, this is a guy who he has an incredible feel for the game, has an ability to score from the outside and the inside. And he also projects to be an elite defensive player. So it's almost like he ticks every single box, maybe with the exception of elite A-plus athleticism. He doesn't quite have that, but he's athletic enough, and he's long and tall. And, I mean, a 6A point guard is pretty cool. Dish, as you describe him as like Ben Simmons with a shot, I've been waiting for five-plus years to see Ben Simmons with a shot. So, hey, man, I'm excited for Cade Cunningham. You're going to be waiting another 10 years. I'm sorry. No, no. Hopefully, I won't have to wait. Whatever team we trade him to will have to wait. I'm done waiting. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I, I think you're right, Oswald. I don't think he's going to end up on the Sixers. Maybe by the time this pod releases, he might find another team. That being said, Deesh, it's a it's a real shame, though, that 
with everything going on with the pandemic, uh, you weren't able to go to the draft itself and actually be there when your guy was drafted. Because I'll tell you, man, I went in 2016 when Ben got drafted and I've been to other drafts as well, but nothing's like when your team has the number one pick. And this is Brooklyn, right? Like there's way more Sixers fans there that night than I would have ever expected at a draft in Brooklyn. And the same thing, you, you'll you find Pistons fans creeping out of their little dark caves, finally seeing the light for the first time. In They're trying to Isaiah Thomas. It's It's been a lean streak for us, to say the least. Yeah, man. The good thing is when you think about Detroit like the city as a whole it's a very blue collar hard working type of city they're they're very passionate about really a lot of shitty teams so my hope is that the arrival of the motorcade in motor city will bring with it a renewed sense of like pride in detroit sports and i'm with ac that i don't think you guys are capable of making the playoffs or even should aim for that i think now it's like you got your 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 foundational piece now build on that. Try to get some other good young talent, either by trade, by draft, or whatever. Build those assets so that when this guy starts to come into his own, you can fit around pieces so that you know he doesn't end up like an early career LeBron or, I, I mean, so far what we've seen an early career Luka Doncic. Like, I want to see more from, from this guy's career, and the team needs to give him that. I think another thing that should be considered here is Detroit has had trouble over the last few decades of attracting free agents. And I, I think a little bit of that is unfair because it's a city that absolutely can get behind a team as we saw certainly in the 80s and then again in the 2000s. I think it's not considered a glamour market you know, for a number of reasons. In Cade Cunningham, you have a guy who only interviewed with the Detroit Pistons. He declined to meet with any other teams and he said publicly from day one, I want to be in Detroit. And if you're the Pistons and you have, if it's even like relatively close between players, give me the guy who's embracing the city right off the bat. Because as you see with Zion, right, there's a clock to this. This idea that, you know, just because you draft them as a, a rookie that they may stay there forever, it's not necessarily true. And, and the Pelicans clearly feel a level of panic, maybe, that he might actually just bolt on them at the end of his first four years. With K, it looks like you have a guy who wants to be in Detroit. A guy who wants to be in Detroit and, and apparently also a guy who makes his bet. So, <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who might not know what Deesh is referring to, Dwayne Casey said that an important criteria for him in drafting players is whether or not they make their bed because apparently if they don't make their bed, they can't possibly succeed in professional basketball. So Deesh was a little bit worried that it would come out that this guy wasn't making his bed somehow. <laughs> um, uh, That is a bizarre litmus test for future draft picks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that speaks more about the draft picks or Dwayne Casey. Hmm. <laughs> I would love to know how he actually monitors this. Is this guy like putting in cameras? Like he, he's, privacy violations? He sits right next to their bed when they wake up and watches to make sure they're making their bed nicely. <laughs> it's like something you'll hear a drill sergeant do. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. That being said, Deesh, he wants to be there right now. He's excited to be there right now. But this is a guy who's coming into big money for his first time. He's the number one pick for the first time. Like, this is all fresh and new. Don't take that for granted. Because if the Pistons fuck this up, he'll be really happy to be anywhere else but Dodge. <laughs> is that a, a Chrysler Company reference there? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out how there. I could afford to put a joke like that into this. <laughs> 
I personally think that's the last thing that he should be thinking about right now as a Pistons fan who suffered for what, like the last 15 years. He's already worried about this guy leaving. I I think that they got the right guy. And I actually like some of the moves they made in free agency. We'll talk about that in a second. I do want to talk briefly, though, about the idea of picking Cunningham over Jalen Green or Evan Mobley. These are like three prototypes of basketball players. And there's no way to say right now which one was right, which one was wrong. Right, Cunningham is that creative big point guard, or you could say even like a forward. And then you have Jalen Green, like the prototypical attack scoring mentality shooting guard who's ultra athletic. He's like a 10 out of 10 athleticism scale. And then you have Evan Mobley, the big man who can both score a little bit, has some touch, but really is like your anchor defensively. So just take the names out of it. If When you guys are in the situation, you're thinking, if you have the number one pick, knowing that all three guys have some promise, What's the mold of a player you would prefer out of those three kind of players and why? I think for Detroit, it's always been a defensive mindset coming in. I mean, if you play hard on the defensive end, it'll create opportunities on the offensive end. I mean, that's that's how the 04 Pistons really played and succeeded at that level because they were willing to give their defense a chance. So if we can find someone who's willing to play hard on both ends of the floor, uh, that's what we need. Someone who has the talent and is willing to put in the effort and and from all accounts, what I've seen so far and heard about him is that he's is an elite defender and he lacks perhaps the frame he needs. But, you know, that's that's what coming to the NBA and working out with those trainers is for. So right. if he can get the frame and he can put in the work on the defensive end and that's that's what the Pistons really need. And Dish, I love how you said that defense is something that really matters to your team because, hey, this is the franchise that had Ben Wallace and Dennis Rodman and Joe Dumar. Like, these are some big heads when you think about defense. And you're, you're so right. It, it's, it's like that blue-collar mentality. Just work hard, put your head down, go to the rim, try to go for every rebound. If the ball's going out, die for it. Play hard defense. Like That is Detroit in a nutshell, that kind of grit there. So you could not be more right about that. You mean Detroit basketball. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so you were asking, like, hypothetically, if we were, like, drafting for a prototype guy. I usually go with, like, who has the most athleticism that it stands out that if I worked all of their raw talents into a finished product, who athletically would be more dominant than their peers? And for me, I haven't really seen much of Cade, but I did get to catch a couple of games of Evan Mobley at USC. And that guy seems like a raw KG. Yep. Like a super- a great comparison. He has the touch already, but physically, he's like a freak of nature. So for me, I probably would have swung for the fence instead of going for the guy that I know is a sure thing in Kate, which I'm certain Kate is an all-star caliber player from everything that I've heard and, and the few times I've actually seen him. I would have gone for Evan because I think in a vacuum, his ceiling seems to be higher than any of the other draft picks that I could think of. Well, for starters, I agree Evan Mobley is a freak athlete, but listen, my friend, you're seven feet tall. You're in the NBA now. Please, oh God, please stop doing backflips because it's great you could do them, 
but big men in the NBA do not have a good track record when it comes to foot injuries. So Evan, maybe tone that down a little. Poor Oswee is speaking from experience, having followed the career of a couple of big men with foot a problems. A number of them. I mean, that's the difference of Evan Mobley being like the next Kevin Garnett or the next Greg Oden, right? Like, well, keep, there's keep the chill. other thing where I don't think one of his legs is shorter than the other. <laughs> leg, so <laughs> for sure, <laughs> there's also that. So I, I doubt he's going to be Greg yeah. Oden. <laughs> For sure, for sure. But AC, to answer your question, when I look at these three guys, Evan Mobley is exciting because he he kind of validates the point I made in our last episode when I was talking about how the big man is starting to come back. And Evan Mobley himself is an, an example of that. But I'm still going to go with Cade because Cade, being a 6'8 point guard, is still along those lines about big basketball, but I like a guy who who can do everything, right? Like, yes, he's not a freak athlete, but eventually athleticism will fade, right? Like, it's it's all about your skill. If you're this polished coming into the league, how polished are you going to be when you have NBA trainers with you 24-7, when you're around vets who can teach you the game, and when you're playing against the best competition in the world? So I want the guy who has those skills that can only get better, will only age like fine wine but then also i don't need to worry about like injuries as much as i would with evan mobley and if it's if it's athleticism like it doesn't matter as much with Cade because he's so talented in so many facets of the game that yeah when he's older it's fine if he gets severely injured i mean obviously if it's terribly injured but if he gets an injury that would otherwise limit his athleticism he can still adapt and 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 change his game to still be effective in the long run. And like you mentioned, I have PTSD with all the injuries my team has had. I would love for a guy whose game can kind of go past all those injuries and and still be like an insurance policy. It's really a Bulbasaur versus Charmander versus Squirtle situation. And you really can't go wrong with any of them. That was the geekiest thing I've ever heard in my life. I know, man. Ultimately, <laughs> Eric, 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 we literally did an episode comparing NBA players and presidents. Don't don't come at him for being a geek. Right? <laughs> I'm going to take that geek analogy and take it even further. Uh-oh. Because unless you're lucky enough to be like Pat Riley, who's like apparently the Ash Ketchum, where he gets all three, he doesn't have to even choose. He gets yep. all three plus Pikachu. It's not even fair. <laughs> we had to choose. This fool gets all of them. You have to pick one of these, right? And it's really an interesting draft in terms of what you believe in an NBA philosophy because there really are three prototypes of star players who've all succeeded. You know, when, when names get thrown around, uh, when the comparisons are people like Kobe or Garnett, I mean, that just shows you the kind of potential these guys have. And I think in this situation, I think Detroit not only made the right pick for their specific franchise, but also the right pick in general. I don't think that Detroit can afford to take a complete flyer on a big man who, let's be honest, big men, whether you're going back to the days of Sam Bowie or, you know, even more recent years, they either there's much higher potential for injury and there's a much higher potential for it to be just a bust, right? And I also think in the modern NBA, their offensive ceiling is limited. There aren't too many big men who can really be a fulcrum of an offense, no matter how polished and skilled they are. Even someone with as much touch as DeAndre Ayton or as much shooting ability as, say, a Chris Bosh could never be the number one option on a championship team. Cade Cunningham can be that, but he also can still be an amazing defensive player. And, you know, and playing wing defense, being a lockdown wing defender, that's valuable too in the modern NBA. And it's one of the most difficult things to find. So I think overall, the Pistons made the right decision. Even if one of those other two guys ends up being better, I think you go with the process over results. And the process here says you have a guy who wants to be there, who statistically was absolutely dominant, 
fits every single box. I mean, it's a no-brainer to me. So basically, you're saying that Cade Cunningham is Squirtle because the first couple gyms are the easiest. Right out the gate, you have a guy who's strong. Evan Mobley is Charmander. At the beginning, it's going to be tough, but his projection could be awesome because Charizard's awesome. <laughs> and, then, I like it. and then Green is Bulbasaur, which is all-around solid. Still pretty good at its best. But it's questionable, is he going to be better than one or the other? I like it. I like your geek analogy there. I can't believe you. you just actually took that analogy AC came up with and <laughs> went through its logical progression. Dude. I, I, and now we're here. What a time to be alive. Yeah, dude. Pokemon was my shit growing up. Of course I was going to go with that. It was so awesome, speak, by the way. Speaking <laughs> of things that people were into back in the day, Satish, you actually were a hardcore fan of that team that ultimately in 2004 kind of survived the malice in the palace and did all that stuff and then ultimately won the NBA championship. So I have a question for you that's been hotly debated amongst basketball fans for years. Who was actually, in your opinion, the best player on that 2004 Pistons team, or even in, over the course of that entire run where the Pistons were going to these finals, who was the best player on that team? For me, I think it it would be Billups. Uh, it, it has to be the guy who you want to have either, you know, make a play for someone else or a score himself. And, and who would that be for the Pistons? It was always Billups. I mean, he got the nickname Big Shot Billups for a reason. It was because the team trusted him, the coach trusted him, and uh, offensively, he was he was definitely the key component to that gritty, go down to the end of the shot clock and, and wear down the defense type offense. You could make the argument for Ben Wallace for sure on the defensive end because he was at that point probably every guard's nightmare because you knew Ben Wallace was there <laughs> at the rim and you knew he was going to challenge you. Uh, he was going to come through a weak side. Whatever he had to do, he would be there. So those those two, you know, definitely I think if you're breaking it down on, on either side, you know, the offense, defense, you could make a case. But overall, I, I would say the answer is definitely Chauncey Billups. Dish, I'm sorry to say, but that was a trick question and you answered it wrong. The correct answer, the best player of the Pistons in the 2000s was Allen Iverson when he played for them in 2008 to 2009. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really difficult to pick between the various players on that 2004 Pistons team because they were all kind of similar in terms of their achievements. So I default then to the guy who was the most dominant at the things that he did. And to me, that was Ben Wallace, the undrafted guy who was strong as an ox, who could bench press a million pounds, who could high point a jump shot and reject it. And who in 2004 was able to shut down a still very much in his prime Shaquille O'Neal. That's the guy who I think was the root cause of you guys winning and being dominant over the course of that decade. So Ben Wallace, there's a reason he was the first of these guys to make the Hall of Fame because he's the obvious pick. So Wallace is the guy for me, Big Ben. And shout out to Big Ben. I mean, he's the only undrafted guy to win four defensive player of the years. Like, come on. That's that's incredible. And the first guy who's undrafted to actually make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. That just shows you everything you need to know about Big Ben as a basketball player and as a man. I mean, he's a guy who worked and worked and worked. And I mean, the city saw the fruits of that labor, right? I mean, he's a fan favorite just because of how hard he played. So from the high point then, guys, of winning the championship then and being competitive for a decade, 
DSU also experienced the low points of the last decade. You know, with Stan Van getting Blake Griffin, who was almost immediately, he had a good season, then he was kind of a little bit washed up. The Andre Drummond experience. What to you is sort of the low point of the Pistons over the last decade plus? It's definitely when they got Blake. Because to me, someone, you know, getting someone who was past his prime, someone who depended on his athleticism to create for himself and others, uh, when you get someone who's past that prime and that ability, then you, you're just getting someone so you can sell tickets. And, and, and that's what it felt like as a fan. It, it didn't make sense based on, you know, how the rest of the team was. And it just felt like, oh, my God, now I have to wait till this guy's contract is out for us to truly rebuild. And I think we may even still be paying him or it might have just ended. Yeah, because, so. <laughs> I mean, y'all technically bought him out. You kind of officially subsidized him playing for the Nets in a way. Speaking of Blake Griffin, it was announced that he is re-signing with the Nets. So, hey, Dish, he truly is out of your hair now. And he can dunk now, too, apparently. <laughs> that was the best part. He went, like, multiple years without being able to dunk or not dunking in a game, and all of a sudden he can dunk again the second he's off the Pistons. But, Dish, I totally hear you on franchises making moves just to, you know, say they made a move, even if it's an old star name, because I'm a Knicks fan, man. And we've done them all, from Starberry to Steve Francis, you name it. If they're washed up and they're an old star, they've been on the Knicks. So I hear your pain when it comes to that Blake Griffin move. So the last decade of the Pistons have been pretty shitty. And the decade before, they were contenders. But my favorite era of the Pistons were the bad boys. And I'm sure there are plenty of Jordan fans out there who are saying, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Well, I love Smash Mouth basketball. And I don't mean like typical Smash Mouth basketball. I mean literally Smash Mouth basketball. The bad boy Pistons were just so badass. And they didn't care what anybody thought about them. They said, you're going to paint me as the villain. We will be that villain and we will still win. Doesn't matter if you're Larry Bird. Doesn't matter if you're Magic Johnson. Doesn't matter if you're Michael Jordan. So Dish, as a Pistons fan, how does the legacy of the bad boys feel for you? Because if I were a Pistons fan, I'd wear that like a badge of honor, you know, badge of pride. I would love for that type of game to exist again, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> but 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 the way that the NBA is, the way the NBA is calling fouls, especially, I wish we could have games where people are really, really up in each other's faces and, and there's a lot of physicality. But it, we moved away from that. So uh, unfortunately... Uh, although there's a lot of pride for that type of play and, and I wish, you know, we could win championships like that. I just know that with the evolving NBA, that strategy is, is, is not going to work. Though, to be fair, that strategy is basically taking like rugby and football and putting it into basketball. So I think what we're really looking for is some type of happy medium between those days and this like ultra soft era. Yeah, and there's still hope, you know, with the, the rule changes taking away some of the foul baiting this offseason. I think the NBA itself is realizing a need to return some level of physicality to basketball again. I thought the playoffs this year in particular they allowed a lot more rough play than I remember in a while. And I, I like that. I think it's one of the reasons that the team that's ultimately the most physically dominant uh, out of the teams remaining 
want within the Milwaukee Bucks. So there's some hope. I, I think it's interesting that the the Pistons, in some ways, the bad boy legacy, almost very directly led again to that 2004 championship. Because let's not forget that Joe Dumars was very much part of that team. He was a guy who won a finals MVP for the Pistons in 1990. And when he made this 2004 squad, he kind of reassembled a team that, like that old Pistons team, was made up of a bunch of stars who were not necessarily superstars. Although, in retrospect, Isaiah Thomas clearly seems that way. So it's almost like it led to two eras of, of Pistons basketball. And, and I, though I do agree with Deesh that truly building a team in that identity would not fly today. But I implore any of you guys who are looking to learn more about the bad boys to watch probably my favorite sports documentary ever, which is 30 for 30 on the bad boys. It's just an awesome journey about, not just about, that particular Pistons team, but what it, like the journey of a sports team that has failed multiple times, what they can go through and what triumph they can achieve when they finally overcome those odds. And also, it, it's a good way to see through the Pistons this, this two-year window of this team that existed between the dynasties that preceded in the Lakers and the Celtics and that then came after it in the Bulls. AC, I'm glad you mentioned that 30 for 30 because with The Last Dance coming out last year, while it does cover the bad boys a little bit and and how Jordan and the others really blackballed Isaiah Thomas. The cool thing about the bad boys 30 for 30 is that it, it really shows their perspective. And Isaiah Thomas is one of the most misunderstood NBA players of all time. He really needs to get more credit than what he's given. And a lot of the narrative surrounding his legacy is tarnished because of how negatively the fans of the time and also especially the big name players of the time responded to what the Pistons did back then. If you look at what the Pistons did back then, Isaiah was not nearly the worst when it came to like the actual physicality of it. I mean, you have like Bill Lambeer who was just... <laughs> throwing people who are jumping in there. He's just grabbing them and throwing them to the ground. So Isaiah is really like the lesser of a bunch of evils if you were to consider the, the bad boys evil. I, I totally agree with that. It's kind of a shame that, you know, for newer generations who are looking at the dream team, they might think, oh, those are the best players at the time, which is a logical thing to think, at least the best American players. And there is a guy just a few years removed from winning two championships and beating all these guys, climbing to the top of that mountain twice. And he was just left off it because people were a little bit sour about whether way he played or maybe his general demeanor, whatever it was. It was it was very personal and it wasn't about basketball, and, and and it's a shame. He was their scapegoat for their broken pride and hurt egos. That's what it was. Right. No, exactly. And sadly, Isaiah Thomas then went on to ruin my New York Knicks as a general manager and also as a coach. But to this day, whenever Isaiah Thomas talks about basketball, whether I agree with what he's saying or not, there's a level of respect that I give him when he's speaking about the game and the history of the game and carrying the legacy of the game forward because he did that for his whole career. And then some, he paid the price, as he said famously, I paid the price, you know, so seeing a guy like that come through was, was, was awesome. So thus far, the Pistons have signed Trey Lyles, Corey Joseph, and Kelly Olynyk. Dish, as a Pistons fan, do you have any thoughts on these acquisitions? I like the addition of Olynyk just because 
he's someone Kate can run a pick and roll with, and, and Olenek is really good. He can create, he can pop. That's another addition that he brings to the table. I mean, he can stretch the floor for Kate. I don't know what their intentions are, what Troy Weaver is, is really planning here. Is he is he trying to make a playoff run or not? But I think he's, he's building the pieces, and Olenek, for me, was a good addition. An underrated part of the Kelly Olynyk acquisition is that he's a guy who, you know, like, look, Cade's coming into the league. He's the number one pick. He's seriously hyped by everybody as he's coming into the league. So there are going to be a lot of NBA players who are going to want to come at him, right? Say so like, oh, who's this kid coming in thinking he's a hotshot or something? There'll be guys like the Pat Beverly's of the world or Jay Crowder's of the world might get pissed off of it or something. And then you have a guy like Kelly Olynyk who will just kind of, you know, bully them back. And especially... Especially for a young budding star, you always need that kind of bouncer, right? Like the Oakley to Cade's Jordan. Oh my God. You're calling Kelly Olenek a Charles Oakley? No, no. (laughs) Obviously. But Kelly Olenek does have a track record, right? Like ask Kevin Love. He'll tell you. Yeah, track record of dislocating guys' shoulders. And just overall physical play. Yeah, no, I, I look at him more in the way that Deesh was was considering him as, as that spot-up guy who can run a pick-and-roll with Cade. And I actually like, in a way, the design of what he brings. They didn't spend too much on him. He's on a reasonable contract. He's proven that he can make big shots, and he gives you a bit of a veteran experience on a team that's really young, right? Like, they have 20-year-old Killian Hayes. They have now Cade Cunningham. They have Sadiq Bey, who's just 22 years old. This is this roster, Isaiah Stewart, Seiko Dumboya, like, it's, it's all a bunch of really young guys. And a lot of them are slashers first. So just to have a, a stretch five there kind of opens up the offense. And it's funny is I was looking at their their cap projections and what they have going forward. Deej is absolutely right. You know, Blake Griffin this year, they're paying $29 million worth of their cap, which is basically 23% of their entire cap is in dead money to Blake Griffin. And they have other dead money as well. In Deadman, uh, right? So, yeah, in, in, in Dwayne Deadman as well. Yeah, they have dead money in Deadman. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, another $2.8 million there. They did find a way to pay Corey Joseph less, which I, I liked. Uh, he's on a much more reasonable deal now. So I think they're making nice moves. I like the Trey Lyles addition as well. So they're kind of making the right moves now. They got to get under this. They got to obviously reduce salary over the next few years. And then hopefully Cade gets experience and you get a- another crop of young, talented players with high first round draft picks over the next few years. And then you're in the position to really add that player once all this dead money is gone. There's no real long-term commitment salary-wise, besides obviously Jeremy Grant, who had a pretty damn good season, frankly, last year. So I think the, the Pistons are in a good spot going forward. So the brightest they've looked in a long long time all right guys i think that's a great place to stop for today thank you so much for joining us today dish hopefully as Cade progresses in his career you'll be coming back often and who knows maybe one day we'll be talking about finals mvp Cade cunningham what do you say amen to that all right guys we hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you so much for joining us be sure to like comment rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check us out on social media at brownman will jump and shoot us an email sometime brownman won't jump at gmail.com catch you in the next one take care guys